Let us then return to Acts chapter 8, and we're going to look at these verses that I read earlier from verse 26 to the end of the chapter to verse 40. So Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40 will be our text for this evening. The title for our meditation is basically the eunuch's conversion. The eunuch's conversion. We have been working our way through the Acts of the Apostles, and we have been encouraged as we see the gospel spreading from Ju Jerusalem to Judea. And the last time we looked at it, it had come to the Samaritans, who may be regarded as half-castes, half-Jew and half-Gentile. And there the gospel came, and we find that the apostles, Peter and John, went from Jerusalem, and when they went to Samaria, they prayed and they received the Holy Spirit. And we're inclined to believe that was informing the people, both in Jerusalem and in Samaria, that they were now all one, and the, the wall of division had been broken down, because these people had received the extraordinary gifts of the Spirit, as indeed the believers in Jerusalem did on the day of Pentecost. But this week we want to continue in chapter 8, and we want to notice the gospel spreading further from the Jews to the half-Jews into someone else who is maybe slightly more difficult to actually state exactly his position. But with the help of the Lord, we want to look at this section of Scripture and derive some lessons for ourselves from it. And there are three headings that I have that I wish to highlight with you from this incident. Surely, first of all, then, we have, a, we have an encounter, an encounter, and we might say a divinely arranged encounter. And we find this really in verses 26 to 31. What have we got here? Philip, the Lord, the angel of the Lord, spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, and to the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candice, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. We have here someone of note. We have someone here who represents uh, the queen of Candice. He was the treasurer, a man who had immense authority and influence. We are told here a man of Ethiopia. Now Ethiopia in uh, Old Testament times was also called Cush. And it's not the same as the Ethiopia that we have today. This man was actually from what we would call in modern times from Sudan. 
or as the Bible would say, Nubia, south of Egypt. That's where this man was going. And he had been up to Jerusalem. He had been worshiping. He was obviously a God-fearer. We might say a seeker. That's a good way of describing him. But the most notable thing about him, we might notice, was that he was a, a eunuch. Not a word that we're too familiar with today, but that's what he was. Now, Jesus deals with this subject when he was teaching his disciples about marriage and how someone brought up the issue about divorce. And Jesus said to them that you're not to divorce your husband or your wife except for adultery. And if you do divorce your husband or your wife for any other reason, then you are liable to be charged with adultery. And the disciples say to Jesus then, well, if this is the way it is regarding marriage, then who can get married? Probably it's better not to get married, they say. How does Jesus answer that? Well, he said this in Matthew chapter 19, verse 12. For there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb, and there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men, and there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. Now he recognizes there that there are three kinds of eunuchs. There are some who are born that way from their mother's womb. And basically they do not have the desire to reproduce. That's the way God has made them. And he goes on, there are some eunuchs which are made eunuchs of men. We would be inclined to believe that that kind of eunuch is one who has been made a eunuch by man, by surgery. And then he makes another distinction, which have made eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. These are people who have determined that they will remain celibate for the kingdom of heaven's sake. So there's three kinds of eunuchs that Jesus notices by birth, by man, or by the determination of the individual themselves that they will remain uh, eunuchs and celibate. We're not inclined to believe that the Ethiopian here was of the first uh, eunuch or the third eunuch. Instead, we're inclined to believe that he was a eunuch made that way by surgery. And because of the position that he had, where he would be involved with dealing with many, many women, he went, underwent some surgery in order that he might be castrated and become a eunuch made by man. Now, why am I speaking like this regarding this man here? Well, 
It is very interesting when we put it in a religious context, because here was a man who was castrated, we believe, and he had gone up to Jerusalem, but the scriptures make it clear to us that this person, although he could go to the temple, but he could not fully be involved in the worship of God. Not just because he was a Gentile, but because he was a eunuch. Deuteronomy chapter 23 verse 1 says this. This is the law of Moses. Deuteronomy chapter, 3, chapter 23 verse 1. He that is wounded in the stones, or hath his privy member cut off, shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. So here was an individual who was a Gentile and who was castrated. Although he went to the house of God at Jerusalem and although he was a, a seeker after God and he was a God-feeding individual, yet he could not totally get involved and engrossed in the public worship of God. And that does help us then when we consider that here we have an individual who was truly converted. He would have been, we would use modern words to help us here, but he would have been described as a, a black man. His skin would be very, very dark. And he was a eunuch. And in some sense, he wasn't able to fully engage in the worship of God. But this man was converted. You can see again how the gospel is spreading and how the gospel is breaking down barriers. First, it was the Samaritans, the half-castes. They have been brought into the kingdom of God. Now, here is someone, because of various reasons, was not fully accepted in the, in the house of God, by the law of God. But now, through the gospel, this person was brought to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it all came about by a wonderfully divinely arranged encounter with Philip the Evangelist. And this is something that the gospel does bring. It was prophesied. We read a part of Isaiah the prophet this evening earlier on. If we had read a few chapters later, for instance, in chapter 56, verses 3 to 5, it also talks about eunuchs. 56, chapter 56, verses 3 and 5, or 3 to 5, which reads, Neither let the son of the stranger that has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths, and choose the things that please me, and take hold of my covenant. Even unto them will I give in mine house and within my walls a place and a name better than of the sons and of daughters. 
There, friends, that's a prophecy of the gospel church. That's a prophecy of the Lord Jesus coming with the gospel, that the eunuchs themselves, they shall be brought in to the kingdom of God. Those who take hold of the covenant, those who take hold of the gospel as it's offered to them in the Lord Jesus Christ, even although they be eunuchs, they shall be brought in. And this is exactly what we find here. And I will give them an everlasting name, it goes on to say, that shall not be cut off. That shall not be cut off. They may well cut off parts of their body, but when they lay hold of the covenant, when they lay hold upon the Lord Jesus Christ, friends, the glorious gospel, the blessings of the gospel shall be theirs also, and they shall not be cut off. Now this incident here, this divinely arranged interview or encounter, was quite a remarkable occurrence. We just left Philip last week. What did we, where did we leave him? We left him in a time of revival. We left him in a place and in a time and in a situation that every gospel minister would love to be in. What was happening? The gospel was being proclaimed. The apostles came from Jerusalem. They prayed and the, the Spirit of God came upon the new converts. Wonderful things were happening in Samaria. There were Christians were becoming into the kingdom of God time after time, day after day. There was great success upon Philip's preaching. And he gets a call. What do we find here? And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, leave everything behind, Philip. You have many converts. They're young converts. They don't know the Bible. They haven't got a, a church background. They don't have an Old Testament background. They don't know the scriptures. Philip, leave them. It must have been very difficult for him. He would be someone who would want to nurture them, to encourage them, and to feed them with the scriptures, and to, and to see them develop as Christians. But no, the Spirit of the living God says to him, Philip, your work is done here. No matter what success you've got, you have to go on. This would have been difficult. But Philip, who was walking close to the Lord, he obeyed. And he arose and went. He didn't know what to expect. Again, this reminds us about Abraham when he received that call to come from the earth of the Chaldees, to leave his land of his nativity, his land of his birth, the land that he was familiar with. Leave your comfort zone and come and into a land that I will show you. But the Lord didn't tell him initially where he was going. And so it was here with Philip. Arise. And only as he went was it revealed unto him. He didn't know what to expect. He didn't know what the score was. He didn't know what the commission was. Yet, because he was obedient, he went and left everything behind. 
Now verse 26 there, what do we have here? And go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. That word that is translated south could also be translated noon. It's translated south here, but it could also be translated noon. And here was something else that maybe would cause Philip to stop and to think. Was he going to go south at noon, for instance, to a desert during the hottest part of the day when it would be sweltering? And when there will be very, very few travelers on the road at that time. But then he did. He was obedient. And maybe he had to go at that time because there would only be the Ethiopian and his entourage there. No one else would be traveling. So it was truly an unusual request, but one that he obeyed. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority. Again, Philip might well be thinking to himself, I've left a thriving ministry. I've left a place that has been rejoicing with the gospel a place that has been transformed by the power of God and there's people milling around the place and they're all looking for help and here I am, have left everything, I've gone to this unhospitable place at a difficult time and I'm going for one man. A man of Ethiopia. This was the will of God for him. And this was God using this to further spread the gospel, that it might see that the gospel truly is for all the nations in the world. And what do we notice about this encounter? Well, as we said, he was a, a God-fearing individual. He was a seeker. He had been to Jerusalem. But it would seem as if he was not actually satisfied. He did what he could, took part in the worship, whatever he was allowed to do, he took part in it. But he returned. As he was moving, and it would have been a slow-moving carriage, he was reading the Word of God from Isaiah the prophet. And in these days, it was quite common for people to read aloud. And Philip heard him read. And he was instructed, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. Well, here is someone who was committed, who was determined, and who was hungry to know more. He traveled about 200 miles from his home to Jerusalem. One commentator said that the journey would probably take about five months. 
Seems an awful long time, but that's what he said. About five months there and five months back. This was a terribly long journey, and it would have involved other people, logistics, supplies, food, all of these kind of things. It would have been quite an entourage. It would have been quite an undertaking. But it shows the enthusiasm and the commitment and the dedication of this individual. But even when he went through all that, he was still dissatisfied. Why? Because in the worship of God that he undertook, he did not find the Savior. He did not find peace with the living God. And maybe there are individuals here who are going through all the motions, who are attending all the means of grace, who are going from here to there, to every meeting that's going, and they're taking part in the divine worship of God, but there's no satisfaction. They have not found Christ. They have not clothed in with Christ. And this is the individual we find here. Someone who is committed and determined and zealous and earnest, all the things that we admire, but he did not find peace with God until he encountered the evangelist who brought him to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, from the encounter, secondly, let us notice finding Christ. He found Christ in the Scriptures. From the text, we notice that he was reading from Isaiah 53, and the verses that are highlighted for us here would be verses 7 and 8 of Isaiah 53. And we find them in verse 32 and 33. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearers, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The man had read this. Read it aloud. He didn't understand it. Philip asked him, do you understand it? How can I? Except some man should guide me. And he asks a very, very good question. Of whom speaketh the prophet this, verse 34, of himself or some other man? And Philip, if we might say, took his text from these verses and began to explain to him the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he would tell him, that the prophet is talking here not about himself, but about the Son of God, about the Messiah, about the one that the Jews longed for and prayed for that he might come, and that he was the one who came from heaven and laid down his life as a substitute. He was the one that God had punished in our room and in our place. God had laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And he was like a, a sheep before her shearers. He was dumb. He did not open his mouth. He did not complain. He accepted what was, what was laid out for him because ultimately he recognized this was the only way that God would be able to save his people. 
The Messiah had to suffer and die in the room and place of sinners. The Ethiopian eunuch was delighted. It had been explained to him. There is no doubt that Philip would have said more than this. We just have a brief summary of what he said. He would have opened up the way of salvation. He would have mentioned many things. And the Ethiopian eunuch was delighted because now he could understand the great plan of salvation and he could see what was required of him, that he was to believe upon him, upon the Son of God. And as a result, he asks for baptism. What do we find in verse 36? And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? It's clear then that Philip must have mentioned to him what's required. Repent and be baptized. Repent and believe. And the man saw some water and he said, Well, he must have said to himself, I believe. Why can't I be baptized? And Philip said to him, Well, if you believe, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Some people, when they think of Presbyterian churches, think that we do not believe or practice believers' baptism. That's a mistake, because of course we do. Yes, we acknowledge that we will baptize infants of believers, and we can explain that on another occasion, which we shall do. But when we would meet a situation like this here, where someone comes and makes a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who has not been previously baptized, we would happily baptize that individual as we have done in previous occasions. And therefore, when, when people say that we don't believe in believers' baptism, that's not accurate. We do, and we practice it. And some of our Baptist brethren will use this text here and this incident to tell us that the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized by immersion. Well, we would not necessarily agree with that. And we have some reasons. Why would we say that? Well, first of all, just look at the end of verse 26. Go toward the south and to the way that goeth down from Jerusalem and to Gaza, which is desert. Which is desert. And therefore, this incident happened in a desert place. Now, it wasn't a desert in the sense that the Sahara Desert is. Desert here would be a place where it would be difficult to grow things, and it would be forlorn and a bit lost and a bit 
unproductive. It wouldn't be good land. But it's obvious there was not a lot of water. Yes, we recognize in verse 36, for instance, they came unto certain water. But was there enough water to enable them to perform baptism by immersion? As you will know, in order to baptize someone by immersion, you will need quite a bit of water. And I'm not inclined to believe that there was sufficient water on this occasion to perform baptism by immersion. But even if you still do believe that the eunuch was baptized by immersion, then as we look at the text, if the eunuch was baptized by immersion, then it also appears that Philip was also immersed. Verse 38, for instance, a simple reading of the text. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, so they both went into the water, and they both came out of the water. And therefore, if the eunuch was baptized by immersion, you also have to agree that Philip was baptized by immersion. We are not inclined to believe he was. But to get back to the, the main point for ourselves this evening is, here was someone who wanted to make, who made a profession, who wanted to be baptized and who made a profession. That's the way that we look upon these things. If someone makes a genuine profession, then we're happy to baptize them. Philip said, verse 37, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. If you believe, you may well be baptized. We are not going to deny this right to you. What does he say? And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He made a wonderful profession. Someone who had just heard the gospel, but he professed his faith in Jesus, that he was no ordinary individual, that he was indeed the Son of God. And therefore, he made a credible profession audibly, and therefore he was baptized. That would be our position. And this man truly had found the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful change came upon him. Imagine he went up to Jerusalem. He was now going back to Sudan, as we would know it, back to his work. He was on a long journey, and by the grace of God, he encountered Philip and the gospel, and he came to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, briefly and thirdly, we want to notice Philip's continuing ministry. And this is the last two verses 
verse 39 and 40. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. Philip had done his work. He left a revival scene. He went to a desert place at a very difficult time of the day to bring about under the sovereignty of God the salvation of one individual. We don't know much about the eunuch. We don't know what happened to him. We don't know, was he himself instrumental in bringing others uh, to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? We cannot tell. But God had a person, and he was saved, and he brought the gospel, we would believe in some way, to that place. Philip himself went and continued his ministry. He ended up in Azotus, which would be about 20 miles from Gaza, and finally ending up in Caesarea, some 60 miles away from Gaza. We will meet Philip later on as we go through the book of Acts. We'll meet him when we come to Acts chapter 21, and Paul and others encountered him in his home. By this time, he had four daughters who were virgins, who were ones who prophesied. But what we want to notice here at the close is what it says of the eunuch. In verse 39, for instance, at the end, and he went on his way rejoicing. He went on his way rejoicing. He went to Jerusalem, wanting to engage in the worship of God. He was earnest and serious and zealous. He did what he could, and he left somewhat disappointed because he was still searching and under God's sovereignty, he found the Savior. And this caused him to rejoice. It changed his life. And that should be the same for every single Christian who has encountered the Lord Jesus Christ. It should change your life. We maybe did not meditate upon it much last week, but in verse 8, earlier on in the chapter, it says much the same thing concerning the people in Samaria. And there was great joy in that city. Great joy when the gospel comes with power. Great joy when people are saved. Great joy when Jesus Christ becomes your Lord and Savior. This is what happens. This is what happens in the early Christian church. This is what caused the gospel to spread. This is why it had so much great influence it was because it was a joyful thing to be a Christian. It was a joyful thing to have your sins forgiven. It was a joyful thing to be right with God. It was a joyful thing to know that your eternal destiny is secure. It's a joyful thing to be adopted into the family of God. It's a joyful thing to know that God is with you. All these things are to be found in the gospel. And therefore, friends, let us make Christ our Lord and Savior. Let us come to him. He has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. It's a lie from hell that will tell us that the Lord Jesus Christ has come 
in order that our lives may be dull and dreary. He has come that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. This is what this Ethiopian eunuch found out. With all his treasures, with all his responsibilities, with his wonderful job and everything, and with his religion, he didn't have Christ until that time when he had this divine encounter with Philip the evangelist. The eunuch's conversion. Amen. And may God be pleased to bless his word to us. Let us pray together.